This is Floss Weekly. I'm Doc Searles. This is a special show because um, our guest was, is, and will be again Mad Dog Hall, John Mad Dog Hall himself, calling in from Brazil on a line that did not hold up, unfortunately. So we will have him back. We have him for about a third of the show. So the first third of the show, he's there, and we forecast some stuff. He teed up a lot of great conversation between Dan Lynch and myself. And Dan turns out to know an awful lot about the GPL and licensing and stuff like that. That was most of the rest of the show. And it was good stuff. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Mad Dog will be back. But in the meantime, that show is coming up next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly number 754, recorded Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. Is he still on? Listeners of this program get an ad-free version if they're members of Club Twit. $7 a month gives you ad-free versions of all of our shows, plus membership in the Club Twit Discord, a great clubhouse for Twit listeners. And finally, the Twit Plus feed with shows like Stacy's Book Club, The Untitled Linux Show, The Giz Fizz, and more. Go to twit.tv slash club twit. And thanks for your support. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing. Cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. Hello again, everyone everywhere. This is Floss Weekly, and I am Doc Searles. This week, joined from Liverpool, Dan Lynch himself. Hey, back, for, back for another week of fun. Red themed as back. ever. I'm and kind of red themed as ever. Yeah, I'm kind <laughs> of Halloween themed this week. I shouldn't. I, li- I like that. It's it those on it the says crew. It says, it it says, says crew. So this is from an event called Og, Og Camp, which I run. And this is a very old t shirt. It's uh, Og Camp 15, but it was a Halloween event. So we had a oh, eight, wonderful kind of 8 bit ish. Um, Halloween pumpkin design for our shirts. Um, but basically, the, the, the what happened was I had to buy 200 of these shirts for the crew. <laughs> and I've got about 100 left, I think. So yeah, these, it goes these like I can that. wear them and throw them away. and just That's what on. they call a sunk cost. And you're weighed down by having 100 T-shirts in a box. It's great, though. I like them. That's a good one. That's a good one. If I'm ever over there, give me one. I, yeah, I need an I'll extra large one. at the moment. Oh, <laughs> so, that's okay. Because I'm still in my second trimester, it looks like. Anyway, um, <laughs> so our, our our guest today is 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 Mad Dog Hall, um, mm. the great and infamous and uh, uh, magisterial. I, I don't know what, what you get to be when you're you, when you're an elder in the in the tribe, um, 
older than Mad Dog, by the way. <laughs> You're older so, than Mad Dog, right? Okay, yeah. I did say to someone in the chat before we started this show that I would enjoy being the young buck this week. Yes, you um, are. <laughs> I'm a mere forty-three years old, so you know I feel like the young buck, uh, which is nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to talk to to talk to Mad Dog because um, we've never spoken in person, but I've seen him speak a lot of times, and I feel like. You know, I've kind of conversed with him in a way, although it's more one way. He was talking at me, but uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Hopefully, well, we'll enjoy chatting to each other. Well, let's. Uh, uh, so, I want to introduce him, uh, John Mad Dog Hall, Mad Dog Hall, lowercase, um, is uh, one of the originals, pre Linux, post Linux, more involved with Linux and with Linux himself than anybody else that I know. Or that anybody knows, um, uh, a, a, a committed, capable, um, and um, even charismatic leader for us in the community, and um, and he's back. He's been with us before, um, but he's back for a return engagement. We like to have the best of our guests back. So welcome, welcome to the show, Mad Dog. You're <laughs> Thank you very much, Doc. I'm very, uh, I'm very excited about this. Actually, <laughs> we are too. And so is our back channel. I, I should, um, for, for say for those of those of you watching, which is a minority of you, but some of you, um, the reason that Mad Dog is very still <laughs> in the picture is because we don't want to risk losing him uh, on a, a fairly uh, tenuous connection in in Brazil. So tell us, start by telling us what you're doing in Brazil. I know you spend a lot of time there. You're really committed to the community there. What's what's going on? Well, I mean, right now I'm at an event called Latinoware. It's been going on for 20 years. It is uh, it is major sponsored by Itaipu, which is one of the largest hydroelectric plants in the world. Um, and another another side of that is PTI, which is a research group that's associated with Itaipu. And 20 years ago, they, some people started saying, hey, you guys should be supporting free software. So they started up this event called Latinoware. And it's very well, uh, very well positioned because it's right at the border of three countries, Paraguay, Brazil, and Argentina. In fact, the three countries come together right here. And so we have a lot of university students from all three countries come here. Uh, they come in what they call caravans, and they could travel for like 15 or 20 hours in a caravan to come to Latinoware and listen to speakers and you know, just enjoy each other's company and things like that. We also get a lot of students who are into computer science who aren't necessarily into free software. They, they, they've heard about it, but they want to get more exposure. So this is a very good event to come to. And I have been coming for over 20 years, or actually for 20 years, this is the 20th anniversary. Mm. And I enjoy coming here. I enjoy talking with the students, things like that. So now, how did I get involved with Latin America? I first visited Caracas, Venezuela in 1994, which I can assume that some of your listeners are always going, 1994, oh my god. Such a long time ago. True. And, uh, but I was there because of ADICUS, the Digital Equipment Corporation User Society, was having a meeting in Caracas. And I got exposed to Latin America. 
And two years later, in 1996, I went to Sao Paulo. And a lot of people in the United States, when you say Latin America, they think of the Amazon or they think of Piranha or, you know, Samba or something like that. Hmm. But they don't really connect with the fact that Sao Paulo is the second largest city in the Western Hemisphere after only Mexico City, with New York being kind of far down the line. And they don't connect with the fact that the University of Sao Paulo has 100,000 students and 16,000 PhDs. So if you're interested in almost anything, there's a person at the University of Sao Paulo who is passionate about it. And it was at the University of Sao Paulo in 1996 that I saw my first Bayloff supercomputer in real life. And they were doing some amazing things. And so I started working with the university and then and there from there, a lot of other countries. So I kind of concentrated more in Latin America than I did in Europe or China or the Asian countries, although I still went there too. So um, right now, I'll maybe skip ahead a little bit. I'm working on two projects in, uh, in Latin America. One of them is called Caminos Lupus which stands for crazy canines, kind of as a, as a tip of the hat to me, Mad Dog. And the project is about designing and manufacturing and distributing uh, little, basically, Singapore computers, something along, along the lines of the Raspberry Pi. But uh, it's slightly different. It has uh, two words to it. What, what is a board that has the CPU, the GPU, the memory, the, the flash, everything. And the other is what we call the I.O. board that has the connectors attached to it, does power management, things like that. Uh, we actually have three board boards. One is 32-bit, one is 64-bit, that is pin for pin compatible with the 32-bit board. And the other is the 64-bit board that has additional uh, data lines for the for the RAM, so you can have more memory on it than you can have with the first two boards. But all three boards uh, fit into a dim socket, standard dim socket, so that you can slip one board out, stick the other one in, change the operating system, and not have to replace your I/O board. So we started this project a number of years ago. Pardon. Sorry, no, I was just saying that sounds really interesting. It reminds me a little bit of something like the Freedom Box, possibly. Does that make is that any relation? Well, the Freedom Box is actually software that can run on a wide variety of different pieces of mm-hmm. hardware. Mm-hmm. And this is hardware uh, that basically we have Debian as the operating system that we chose to, to concentrate on. Although we would welcome other distributions of Linux on it, that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we would even, I'm going to have to choke on this, we would even welcome Microsoft on it <laughs> if, they, if they thought that this was worthwhile doing. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they haven't offered us anything yet, so we're, we're quite, really quite happy with Debian. And, uh, and on top of this, we're building different types of applications. So one of our applications is the port Voodoo on top of this, and then allow students to be able to sell this to small business people 
So instead of a small business person having to shell out all the money for SAP or for Oracle Enterprise or Oracle ERP, they could get this little laboratory system with the Hudu code on it, uh, buy a printer, a cash drawer, scale, scanner, and actually create a point-of-sale ERP system for a fraction of the cost of either SAP or Oracle. And by making this available to students to do this, then the students can actually have a job that could help to pay their way to university without having to flip hamburgers or be a clerk at a night, you know, night clerk at a hotel. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs. It's just the students are typically going to be the first to learn that. Mm. So these are the types of projects that we're working on in conjunction with Kenita students. Uh, you showed another little computer there, something about the size of quarter. Uh, that is a sensor computer that we're building. It's using an ARM microcontroller on that. But it still has the same design characteristics that one board has the CPU, the GPU, and all the high-speed components. And the other board is, is I.O., uh, usually Wi-Fi, LoRaWAN, or Bluetooth as the I.O. thing. And we can run uh, that board, that little computer, for about six months on a watch battery. Wa- wow. So that's it. Yeah. So it's a sensor computer. It gathers up information, turns on its transmitter, transmits it, and then some other computer, maybe our little Labrador, gathers that information, condenses it, and sends it on to the, to the next place. Hmm. And uh, we were going to call that small computer a chihuahua, but then we realized <laughs> everybody hates chihuahuas, so we, we named it Polga <laughs> instead, which Polga is Portuguese for flea, and all dogs have fleas. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that is very interesting. Um, so, uh, Mad Dog, I wanted to ask you about... Um, well, actually, it leads right in with some of the back channel chat we were just having between me and Doc there. You mentioned the M word, Microsoft, and it feels a bit like the elephant in the room is that we all, I say we all, we did all live through the days of Linux is a cancer and all of that, which I don't want to get too into. But I'm just wondering how you feel about Microsoft's position now in the open source kind of space. It feels like maybe they've changed a little bit. Is that fair, do you think? Where, where do you kind of stand on that? Okay, so I will tell you that we, you say we all live through that. I have whip marks on my back that I got from Microsoft, okay? I was thrown out of conferences because I was trying to hand out CDs, free software. I was not only thrown out of the conference, I was thrown out of the building. I was told I couldn't even just stand out on the street and give them away, that they were going to call the cops. Now, granted, that was a whole long time ago when Steve Ballmer was still yelling, developers, 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 developers. But I will also point out that Microsoft only talks about how much they love open source. Mm. Now, I'm going to differentiate between open source, which includes licenses like MIT and BSD, where you get a whole bunch of code which you can use, and then you can change it to meet your needs, but you don't have to redistribute the source code for your changes when you create your binaries. 
So the end user still gets a bunch of binaries that they can't change. They can't hire somebody, a third party, to change it for them. They may as well just be getting closed source. The only one that benefits from the open source is the developer or the company that's distributing it. Free software, on the other hand, is a reciprocal license, or some people call it copyleft, which says you have to make your changes available to the customer. And not only that, but the latest versions of the GPL say you also have to make any type of special build information available to them so they can actually change the code or support it over time if you lose interest in it. And people say, oh, Mad Dog, I don't have the expertise to do that, but you could hire somebody who has the expertise to do that. And the point out where this might be practically useful is that Microsoft stopped supporting XP years ago, and that was when millions of people were still using XP. But even now, we estimate that about 12 million people are still using XP. They can't put it to new hardware. They can't have new device drivers for it. They can't have any types of bug fixes. They can't extend it. 12 million people. If XP was open source, those 12 million people could form a little community, hire some programmers, and there's lots of companies who would love to have 12 million people on a support contract. Mm. But they can't because they don't it have the source code the whole, for XP. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but it makes me think a bit of the whole embrace, extend, extinguish approach that we saw from some companies. Well, I'm going to be I'm going to be like my rare form of being fair to Microsoft. <laughs> I wow. used to work for Digital Equipment Corporation. I am very well aware of the engineering process where you hire a bunch of engineers and they produce a product and then they support that product and another group of engineers decides the next release and they support that. But sooner or later, that first group of engineers, as the number of people using that product decreases, you want to take those engineers and put them on the next version. You don't want to have them keep supporting this older and older and older version. So I understand the business model, but that doesn't change the fact that there's still estimated 12 million people using Microsoft XP that they can't, they don't dare put these systems on the internet. They don't, you know, and like I said, they can't get new hardware, you know, they're, they're stuck with it. Maybe, maybe they have an application that only works on XP. You know, it's a binary application for, for XP, it's the only thing it runs with. They can't move. Yeah. So, no, go on. Sorry. This is a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and the second thing is, for years, people like O'Reilly have been welcoming Microsoft to come to open source events or free software events. And they, they come and they give talks and they tell how great they are. But as far as I know, there's never been a single time that Richard Stallman has been invited to speak to a Microsoft users group. 
uh, he has been invited to talk to their research group. That doesn't count. He should be invited to talk to a Microsoft users group so he can tell them why they should be using free software. And I would estimate that after Richard Stallman told Microsoft user group why they should be using free software, he did that only one time, Microsoft would only have half their customers left. But that doesn't happen. And Microsoft doesn't love Linux. They love free software. They love open source. Oracle doesn't love, they really don't. They don't love, they don't love free software. They love something that benefits them. Well, this is sort of a natural corporate behavior to some to some degree. But I want to take a break now and go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about now, especially pulling apart how that um, how licenses work. And you were mentioning that earlier. So let's take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Since our founding in 2000, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission. It's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. Okay, so... <laughs> so. So Dan, if I'm not mistaken, we're coming out of the break without the guest, and uh, we've lost the guest. Our, our, our beloved guest, Mad Dog himself, um, I, a power outage or some other glitch has happened, and he has disappeared, at least for the interim. Well, um, yeah, while our production team labors in the background and makes stuff work. I- I don't know if I should say this, but I really just hope he didn't run into Steve Barmer or something, didn't turn up down there. <laughs> I don't know. That it's it's interesting. Well. So we were on the subject of Microsoft and and mm-hmm. and you asked a really good question about, you know, it, is Microsoft like the good guy now? And and Mad Dog is busy saying, well, they were so bad yeah, they <laughs> for were bad. so long. It's kind of hard to wait a minute. You guys got reformed. And, and he was making this great distinction between free software and open source and really sharing and participating in a community and, and simply deriving the benefits of open source. Uh, and uh, when we didn't go any farther with that, I was suggesting that it might have something to do with the, with the, uh, with the GPL license. Um, the, the copyleft element. Yeah. The copyleft element, because I, I'm remembering there was a, I was actually just Craig Burton. I'll say who it was. He's gone now, sadly. He would have been a great guest. Um, a, a, another late convert to open source, actually, and uh, to, to free software, who, when he was still at Novell, um, and almost single-handedly responsible for the success of Novell back in the 80s and early 90s. He'd long since left it by this time, though. When we were t- I was talking to him about the GPL, he said, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm wondering... 
how much of it is, I don't know what to do with that versus I do know what to do with something that's free for the taking. And I don't know. I, I don't have to worry about anything else. And so what seen, do you think about that? I mean, it, it yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. That I think a lot of it needs to be tested in court. I mean, I'm definitely not a lawyer by anyone's stretch of the imagination, certainly not an American lawyer. I know we have different laws between our two nations, but um, it does seem to me that like a lot of this stuff, needs to be tested in court a bit more still in terms of enforcing copyleft. It's happened. There have been cases. There have been large-scale cases, um, some involving uh, friends of mine who um, back in the days of the Software Freedom Law Center, if you remember them. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it's still going, actually. I say if you remember them. Um, but yeah. they're, they're still going, uh, Eben Moglin and, and all those kind of people. Um, I was a little bit involved with them, helping out with podcasts of all things. But um, they were actually taking... Um, test cases like the TV manufacturers who bundle the Linux kernel and some some things like BusyBox, which um, is a kind of cut-down version of the GNU toolchain, uh, if I understand rightly. Um, and they were using embedded Linux with BusyBox on smart TVs and not contributing back to the community and not um, making the source available for what they've done and all the things that the copyleft licenses require because they were under GPL v2 um, and... Uh, they were prosecuting that, but I, I don't know the actual outcome of the case, which is bad. I should know, but it went on for a very long time. And sadly, I think there's a large uh, thing where you've got a small entity like a busy box is only a couple of guys, I think, or, uh, uh, you know, guys or gals. I don't mean to use that in a, in a you know, a, a mm-hmm. but um, they, uh, they couldn't, they would struggle to fight the legal department of a Microsoft, Google, Sun, sadly no more, or uh, or whoever it may be, IBM, because their lawyers are so, you know, they've got so many lawyers, they've got so many good lawyers, they can just throw lots of money at it and, and make you give up, I think is the problem. Um, so it's, it's just an interesting one. I think it's not a fair fight in a lot of ways uh, in, in terms of legally, but I do think that the precedents are probably there for more of these cases to, to come up and for copyleft to be more enforced. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of that kind of stuff, Doc, or have you? I, I haven't. I, I'm, I'm kind of almost allergic to legal stuff in the sense that I, um, I tend to get snowed under. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I, my mind is not built for that. Often in, in legal work, though, certainly in, in programming. I'm not a programmer either. Um, the only code I know is Morse, um, but. Um, in much the same way that you, as in programming, you have to remember a lot of conditionalities. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're full of logic, ifs, thens, or as else's and the rest of it. And um, what I'm, what I'm looking at, what I'm kind of hoping to get some insight on, it doesn't have to be from you or me. I, 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 mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Mad Dog could provide it, but maybe our back channel, which is a thing you can provide it, I don't know, yeah. is, is, is in the market. I mean, I think what, what Craig Burton said to me with, with, I don't know what to do with that is, is just like, I got, I'm speaking as him now, I stumble over this conditionality that the freedom this has, has to be given to others as well. Mm-hmm. And even understanding that there's a freedom to use, there's a freedom to do a bunch of other things other than simply use and reuse or, or make, make your own in some way. Um, and there's a there's another aspect to this, which is a very human thing, which is to use a resource without a without a, without recognizing the consequences of it. Um, 
was watching last night the new Ken Burns documentary on the buffalo. The buffalo was mm-hmm. the, the, the most abundant large animal in North America at the point when, when the Europeans arrived and were driven almost to extinction. And not just by, not just by the, by the immigrants, but by the natives as well, to a lesser degree. But um, they were more respectful of them. But the the fact was, there was a gigantic market for buffalo everything, and and I again we don't we don't want to be political here, but I don't think this is a political. This is a scientific matter. Um, pretty much, I mean, humans tend to use things that they can. Um, when it's free and available and just, they could just carve it away, you know, we'll just, I mean, it, in England, they, they basically clear cut forests to make ships, you know, and then, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, this is just true everywhere. We just tend to um, use what's available without, when it's not complicated mm-hmm. and the GPL seems complicated to people, I think. And I'm not sure it's malevolent in every case, I guess is what I'm saying, but it's certainly not, it takes some, mental effort to understand why it is that the GPL and copyleft are actually good for business. I mean, this is something that Eric Raymond wrote a lot about back in the decade. I was just going to mention Eric Raymond on that. Yeah. He did a really good job of that because he's a hardcore free market libertarian on the one hand, on the other, he's very much an advocate for, and a pragmatist as well. I mean, he Mm -hmm. was not so much against free software. He was against the label. Um, and, and, and some of the doctrinal insistences that the free software movement had, but I suppose um, the the thing is though, I mean, from, to take the devil's advocate point of view, if you like, which is a little, there are no devils, so it would help. Exactly. Yeah. So somebody, (laughs) somebody like, uh, an Eric Raymond, for example, who I, I, I don't know, I've, I've never met, but I've, I heard speak and, and I've read some of his writing. Um, I, I believe that his position would be that the freedom not to give others freedom is a freedom. Does that make any sense? So you make something and you, 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 um, sorry, not to enforce other people to share that. So the ultimate freedom is to give someone something and not expect anything back. It would be maybe his point of view or the point of view that I've heard, but I don't know that I necessarily agree with that person. Well, when I have to go back and I'll have to go back and look at it, um, I, I spent a lot of time. He stayed at our house. I, I knew Eric really well for a long time, but we haven't talked to each other in, in quite a while as well. But um, my understanding of it, and again, I'm subject to correction on this, is is that um, what what the what the GPL did was it kind of held Linux together, <laughs> it, it mm-hmm. and it held the community together. There, there was something about. Um, copyleft as well as um, strategically that is part of the reason that Linux succeeded in ways that say BSD did not Um, and where GPL products uh, are have a way of succeeding that we don't see with the MIT or the BSD or the more permissive licenses Mm. And I know from having dealt with a lot of companies when I ask, "Oh, what license are you using?" Oh, we're using, we're using, uh, we're using MIT license because we don't, we it's too, it, it's, it's, it works for us. It's simple. They didn't think about it, and, and there was no thinking involved. Um, but maybe in some cases there was thinking involved. I don't know. There are a great many cases, and yeah, and, and there's also the whole patent side of things because some friends of mine who are involved in this kind of legal space, um, 
educated me on the fact that the Apache 2 license was one of the first permissive licenses to actually deal with patent um, matters as well. Hmm. Um, so it's an interesting one. I don't know whether it would be classed as a, this is where we need Simon, isn't it? Simon Phipps. I don't know if it would be yeah. classed as a free software license Apache 2, but I think, I think it might be. Uh, or I, I certainly know some of my friends who are free software advocates and copyleft advocates still say that at least Apache 2, which is, was a Google favorite for a very long time, does have patent provision, which some are, some don't. And I'm getting into legal stuff again, so I can see you getting antsy there, Doc. I don't want you to worry. I'm going to get no, to I'm not antsy at all. I, I, <laughs> I was thinking of, in, of, a lot of a lot of times what we do is we we work with what's familiar to us you know i mean th- there's a one project i know of right now that um where the developer told me that they're using an apache license because he's an apache guy he worked on mm-hmm. apache he was in the community he's he was very active in it as a matter of fact and um and so it's familiar it's just it's just he inherited it as it were for this. Yeah, we're doing the Apache license. Why? Well, because that's what I use. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like your, you know, like we always ask at the end of the show, or, you know, your, your choice of, of text editor and scripting language is why I like Python. That's what I always use, right? So, yeah, there well, it is. Also, I like just Bash. Gonna, it's just, sorry, Doc, I'm cutting in on you, but yeah. I just mentioned the fact that in our chat here, our, our IRC chat that we have going along during the show, they've been talking, you were talking about Buffalo and they, and Bison, and they're talking about Bison, but it all links back in because all I can think <laughs> of is GNU. Because that's the whole. Oh, exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. It's a. You know. You had the Bison project. You had other things that came out of GNU. There was a reason, I think, why uh, Richard Stallman maybe chose that as the logo. I don't know. Just. A, just. I wonder thought. if I, I haven't. I'm looking at um at the back at, at the back channel. I've got a bunch of loquacious and then it ended. So maybe I missed that one. Yeah. Ah. For those who don't know, Bison and Buffalo are the same. There are more. There are a number of different kinds of buffalo, including the water buffalo, or. The GNU is the GNU water buffalo. I think it might be. Yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, I can tell you that in France, I don't speak a lot of French. Although I I lived there very for a very short period of time, I tried, but I wasn't great at French. But I did learn there was a guy who had a farm nearby, and he had a bison on the farm. And wow. I learned that the French for bison is bison. <laughs> so oh, really? they, that would totally make sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the same same spelling, just different. Yeah, yeah, it's just bizarre. the emphasis on the final syllable in the French way. I, yeah, um, I I worked in France for short periods in the mid '90s, never long enough to pick up the language. And I really I wanted to. I'd go, I'd sit in the metro, um, going somewhere with my Larousse, and and I would look at the words in ads that are in the in the subway, and and I think, okay, I'll. I'm going to memorize 20 words a day. And after two weeks, I'm getting there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the next day I'd remember voiture and valise and a couple of other mm-hmm. words, but that are simple and nothing else. It, it it didn't stick because I was already getting old, you know, yeah, it's, it's a difficult the mind doesn't absorb that quickly. Yeah. It, it can be a difficult language to learn, but, um, it, it's really interesting that people are discussing this. There are so many links in back to the kind of subject of copyleft and so on. And, um, licensing i mean i'm actually although i'm definitely as i say once again not a lawyer this does not constitute legal advice in any fashion but i i do love licenses i'm a bit of a license geek so um not in as much as say someone like simon our, our esteemed co-host but yeah but um, you, you two could be our designated license geeks i'm well i'm I, an I, amateur I, enthusiast <laughs> <laughs> well i have that um I, I look at effects i mean that to me that's the interesting thing is like 
where did this work and mm. why did it work? You know, and was it so much the particulars of the license or the habits of people who are already in it or moral mm. sympathies or, or all the above? Um, Linus chose that the GPL in the first place for, I think, strategic reasons. And, um, mm. But he also, for strategic reasons, he did not go with the GPL three. Um, I have some is, stories about that, which I will go tell one. Actually, tell let's, one. let's okay. do it after a break. Let's do it after a break. We'll take a quick break and then come back with it, <laughs> with one of those stories. Back after this, is this working, guys? <laughs> I think yeah, it is. Yeah. I think it's working. I'm happy. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, we're back. Okay, we're back. So, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so stories. we were talking about um, we talked about licensing and the GPL V two and the GPL V three. I had the privilege of being at. You may have even been there, Doc. I was at the first Linux Con in Portland in two thousand and nine. I don't. Know I was you, not there. I was at a, not, a Linux Worlds. I was at several of those. Uh, those okay, so this was right. the Linux Foundations equivalent one. They called yeah. it Linux. On. I was at the first one anyway, and uh, I was with uh, my friend Bradley, who we talked about before, and um, he was at the time very much trying to, because he was heavily involved in drafting GPL v3, and there were a number of kernel developers, very prominent kernel developers, people the likes of Ted Cho, for example, um, obviously. Right. he XT. lived up there, yeah. The yeah, time. and oh, right. one of the best introductions I've ever seen for somebody, he, so Ted gave a talk, I met him through Bradley, and again, this was like, to me, he was like, oh, my God, I'm meeting Ted Cho. You know, this guy's incredible. But um, he was introduced on stage at LinuxCon as the man who's lost more of your data than anyone else. Because <laughs> he was the file system, right? He, he made the ext 4 uh, well, EXT file system, which is now EXT4, which is yeah. still the default on most Linux distributions. But at the time, it was very much the default. But, yeah, he was introduced for his keynote as the man who's lost more of your data than anyone else, uh, which was good. But on the whole GPLv3 thing, uh, because I was with Bradley, he was going around and talking to people like Ted um, about moving the kernel to v3. And Linus was there, or, or Linus, I should say, because that's how he pronounces it. Um and I actually got to meet him as well. So I met him very briefly. Um, he was getting a coffee. So everybody was, because it was Linus, it's Linus Torvalds, and you're at a Linux, yeah. event, people are going to swamp him. Um, so, yeah, it was just that I, I ended up having a, a privilege of of meeting him and, and getting him to sign a, a program for me, which we gave away mm-hmm. on the podcast as a, as a gift. Sorry, as a prize, not a gift. Uh, for the for the listeners, uh, which was really fantastic, but I did overhear a lot of um, uh, conversations about why the GPL v three was made. And Mad Dog is back. I see him. <laughs> I see him too. Can so, you hear us? Since our founding in two thousand, we at the Center for Internet Security have always had one mission: it's to create confidence in the connected world for people, businesses, and governments. As a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation. The world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. 
Visit our website to learn more. Okay, so it's 2023 and, and technology is still imperfect and we lost Mad Dog for the second time. And so let's carry on with where you were going already, Dan, with your story in Portland yeah, uh, so, with Linus and Ted. Yeah, of course. So um, Linus wasn't, so I, I should recap for people in case they're joining in, uh, joining us at this point. Um, very quickly, I was in uh, Portland, in Oregon, of course, in the, in the uh, US of A, um, for uh, LinuxCon 2009, the first one, where I got to meet Linus Torvalds for all of five minutes. It, you, I, you make it, you very graciously don't make it sound like I was having a drink with Linus and Ted and we were all hanging out, but Lin, Linus wasn't, wasn't there for that part. Um, but I did meet him and get him to sign something for me, and he was very, very nice to me, um, which I was a bit not surprised about because he can be quite... Um, uh, short with people on the Linux kernel developers lists and stuff. I wasn't sure whether he'd be happy for someone to come up to him and go, oh, can you sign this for me? But he was great. So we were talking about GPLv3. Um, I was with a friend of mine who was trying to convince uh, Ted, Ted Cho, who's a kernel developer, file system developer, um, formerly a Cerberus developer, I believe, which I was told to ask him about by a friend of mine, um, about moving um, the kernel, the Linux kernel, from GPLv2, which it currently is under, uh, to GPLv3, which is a, obviously a newer version of said license, a copyleft license, which links into our earlier discussion. And um, it was it was really interesting to experience that because the impression I got was that many of the kernel developers whose conversations I overheard were actually very positive about the idea of moving to GPLv3. Um, they actually liked the idea um, because what happened with v2 uh, the argument was that you know linus chose gpl v2 all those years ago it's a license from like 1991 i believe so in even in 2009 it was a, it was quite out of date and it didn't have provisions for patents it didn't have things that had since developed to become a problem for free software and open source software um so they were quite positive about it uh, but it never happened which was a real shame and i didn't think that it would but because the, the the issue with the kernel which you may be able to speak to as well doc is that the, the copyright is retained by the individual developers so the lines that they contribute to the kernel often unless it's on behalf of a company there are lots of individual people out there who are kernel developers who have little bits of copyrighted copy lefted i should say code in the kernel and they would all need to agree for there to be a license change um and i mm. don't think will ever fully agree i don't know if you have any thoughts on that um i don't have thoughts i more have like <laughs> see, i don't have thoughts I have, I have opinions <laughs> there's a, an important di difference um i i where i go with this is that um a lot of great work and thought and i especially i love and respect uh evan moglin a lot um mm -hmm. He's I, I and the same goes for RMS and goes for Bradley and mm. all of the fully principled people out there um, that are and I know them and you know I, I'm one of those ones on privacy you know I just think that mm. any kind of surveillance un, unwanted surveillance is is wrong on its face and so I kind of stand for that mm. um, the it, what's interesting to me is that, you know from from both a development perspective and a business perspective as a second order of the development uh, is why something succeeds. You know, I mean, when we started Linux journal, all hail Phil Hughes, who started Linux journal, um, it was going to be free software journal. And 
I don't know if he did have some disagreement with with Richard, but I don't know what it was. But then Richard has lots of disagreements with lots of people. And who knows? Right. I mean, I I have tapes of interviews with him. Richard's so interesting. And I, someday we'll go go somewhere with him. Um, but uh, but at, at some point when we were talking, we had this email th- round round thread. Um, and this is when I hate, hate to admit my email was with AOL at that time. This is back wow. in early, early nineties because I couldn't get on the internet yet. And internet wasn't, there were no ISPs I could get on. And I didn't, I wasn't at a university or a big company. And um, I also had a CompuServe one, so I, whatever worked. And uh, we went around about, about starting a free software magazine. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Phil said, Linus, Linux is it. I, I, I know this kid. There's this kid from Finland. He's got this thing. You know, it's going to be at 1.0 soon. I want to come out with the magazine when it hits 1.0. And that was in April of 94. And he saw something in just in Linus and in, in how where Linus was coming from that was let's build it on this. This will succeed. And it was an awesome call. And, and, but was what he saw in there, the GPL, or was it just that he saw a lot of developers lining up around it? And was that because the GPL was involved or not? I think it was, I think the GPL had a lot to do with it, but I don't know the specifics of how that happened. I, I do know that, Linus was very adamant about not going with the GPL three and he got into arguments with, mm. with, um, I don't know, with, directly with Eben or with Bradley or, yeah. or anybody else involved. But, um, but the reasons well. you give are plausible ones. I mean, that, that well, makes sense. yeah. I mean, so the, the reasons, the things that I overheard uh, or were, was privileged to, to overhear were, were, were arguments about things like patent provision and the fact that, yeah. um, under the GPL v3, once again, I am no kind of lawyer, and this does not constitute legal advice. I have to keep saying that because my lawyer friends all do this. Whenever they go, you know, they, they say something, they preface it with, this does not constitute legal advice, so that, you know, it's like <laughs> signing waiver. Um, anyway, and, and also another friend of mine uh, who is a lawyer told me that if you ask a lawyer a question, a direct question, the answer will always be maybe. Because <laughs> right. they're never going to give you an actual answer. because Or another question. Or a question about your question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, um, but it was really interesting. So the GPLv3 has um, exceptions, what they call exceptions in it. And it's kind of like modules of a license. So if you think of it in software terms, you're choosing which clauses you want to invoke in the license. So when you license something under GPLv3, which I haven't done, you know, I may be completely wrong on this, um, I understand that what you can do is um, use the clauses to say, "I want this." It's a bit like Creative Commons. I want it to be, mm-hmm. I want it to be share alike or copy left. I mm-hmm. want it to be non-commercial. I want it to be commercial. All those things you can almost kind of tailor the license a bit more to be what you want it to be, rather than just being stuck with GPLv2, which was written like a big monolithic thing that was. Yeah, that was it. That is interesting. I, a. Um, uh, I'm involved in something like this right now with a standard we're baking for IEEE. Uh, the, the IEEE, which is very much a corporate entity uh, working for companies, made a decision and invited me in and other people in on this uh, to work on standards that work for people and not just for companies. And so we're working on one called P7012, P7012. 
um, for machine readable personal privacy terms. And the big thing we're looking at right now is exactly, I mean, the, what we want to have the, the thing say is something like what you're talking about with GPL three and that we have with creative commons, which is you can pick a bunch of different agreements that you're going to lay on companies. I mean, one would be, for example, um, don't track me anywhere under any circumstances or track me only on site here and give none of that information to anybody else. Or, um, go ahead and show me ads. Just make sure they're not based on tracking me. That actually is a written, a written, uh, agreement and it was written by Harvard, uh, law school mm-hmm. for us. Um, and as one of the possible things, but there would be like not that many variants of it. They would all be basically privacy terms because privacies are basically, I mean, our a privacy statement is what you wish other people to know or not know or do or not do. And, mm-hmm. um, and it should be fairly simple and straightforward. And maybe we should be looking at the GPL three and, and the provisions that are in that, that would be an interesting, it might be one to look, way to look at it. We've got a, a little bit of a question from uh, Loquacious, oh, who's in the IRC. It's not a question as such, but kind of. Uh, they're, they're asking whether you can sell something that's under GPL v, v3 or, or even v2. And as you and I both know, Doc, you can definitely sell. You can sell whatever you want, right. Yeah, yeah I, I can sell you a bottle of air right here. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. Uh, license itself does not prevent you from selling and profiting from the sale of the software. If I, so it's about adding value. If I sell you a piece of software that's on a, I'm trying to give a good example on a USB flash drive, right? You, you want some software. This is an old school, real world thing. You're not downloading it. You come to me. I say, here's the software. It's under GPL. Um, and you, I can sell it to you, but I have to also provide you with the source to the software. If it's a combined, if it's a compiled uh, piece of software, it's a binary blob or anything like that. I have to also allow you to see the source code, to improve the source code, to learn from it, the freedoms, the four freedoms that they talk about. Um, that's where that comes in because, you know, you have to be able to see the source. You have the right to study, you have the right to modify, um, as long as you contribute back your modifications under the same license. So if you are a customer and I, you make smart TVs again, is the example. And I say, here mm-hmm. you get Linux embedded system for you here. That'll do what you want. And the Linux kernel itself um, is under GPL V2, which requires copyleft. So if you, uh, some large TV manufacturers who I won't name in many countries around the world, uh, have been selling TVs with embedded Linux operating systems and never providing any of the source code for the customizations that they've made. And they are clearly making a lot of money out of it. They're legally allowed to do that. There's nothing against it in, in the license. What they're not allowed to do is then keep the changes that they've made to themselves and not contribute them back to the community. It's an interesting one. I, um, the Sony Bravia 1K TV that we bought, I guess it was like two grand, something like that. Um, in 2006 came along with the instructions, a two page printout of the GPL (laughs) saying we have to provide you with this. Our lawyers say, because we have to live with this, this is here. And, um, but then nothing like what you just said, no evidence that they, that whatever modifications they made with that. And, and I'm pretty sure pretty much everything since then is, is running on Linux and, and I'm not sure anybody, you know, many of those are doing any of this and worse on the privacy side. They're all spying on you at this point. There was and, a big uh, case with um, yeah. airlines because, you know, airlines have their onboard entertainment systems where they have a screen in the back of the seat and you can watch films. You can 
you know, do whatever you're going to do. Most of those uh, run on Linux. They run on a Linux media server system. Um, not exactly embedded. It might be a server somewhere on the, on the plane, which has, you know, a lot of video files on it for all the different films that people might want to watch or TV programs or whatever it is. And, and that's all done from, from Linux. And there's been high profile cases where the aviation companies have not complied with the GPL over things like their entertainment systems, which is yeah. just. I, I have somewhere. I mean, I shot with a phone. The, the, <laughs> the, I don't know, it was a Debian screen or what, you know, when, when the entertainment system on a, on a plane failed, there's the little, there's the little penguin <laughs> and a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of, and a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of text. Kernel panic. So we, yeah. very quickly, so, years ago, I had an episode of uh, Linux Outlaws, the podcast I was on. One of the very early episodes we did was because I'd been on a plane and seen just that, but it was a kernel panic and it came up on the screen, kernel panic. And I was like, kernel panic at 3000 foot in the air. I don't think I like the sound <laughs> of that. The episode was called. I know, I know. It's like, if that's kernel all that fails, yeah, I just wonder if it's tied in with everything else. Oh my God. It's a, it's a. Mr. Searles, I've seen that screen and it always reminded me of like Nopix. You remember Nopix? You oh yeah, run from the yeah, CD, yeah. and I would I would pull that up, and was like, wait a minute, hold on, this is on the plane, this is running the plane. Should I be uh, concerned? <laughs> I, know, <it's> like, <laughs> I know. There's a um, United, to their enormous credit, and it's one of the things I loved about them, had this feature called from the flight deck, and you could listen into the chatter between the pilots and the ground, and especially if you're going through turbulence, is very reassuring because you just listen to it, and they don't. They clearly don't care or they're just completely stoic about it. And uh, which basically is their training, but, um, but it's, it's incredibly interesting. And, but you know, they've, they've dropped that in most of their planes at this point, which is sad, but, um, but yeah, I, I wondered when I've seen that, but the mm. thing is that the entertainment system routinely fails in all planes. They're just bad. They're, they're not they're just bad. the entertainment system though. How many times have you been to an airport and seen, you know, the, the flight, board where they put the flights and it's got a blue right and that usually goes that used to fail to windows um so i mean it would be like a blue screen of death with yeah the, yeah it was, it was there people who put published on the bs uh, bsod, yeah. <laughs> the BSOD right, yeah. uh, forums since our founding in 2000 we at the center for internet security have always had one mission it's to create confidence in the connected world for people businesses and governments as a nonprofit, we do this by drawing upon our core competencies of collaboration and innovation the world is changing, cyber threats are evolving, and IT resources are limited. All you want is a way to strengthen your cybersecurity programs efficiently and effectively. Let CIS help you with these efforts. We use a consensus-based process involving IT professionals from around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources are proven to defend systems and data against threats, both on-premises and in the cloud. We also strive to help organizations of every size and maturity strengthen their cybersecurity programs. This includes serving U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations. At CIS, we're all about making the connected world a safer place. Visit our website to learn more. So we're at wrap time. So maybe you, you already told us what your favorite uh, text editor and scripting language I have. Since you're I not have, a guest. Well, I can, well, I, I'm happy to tell you again very quickly. My my uh, my favorite scripting languages are Bash and Python, and yeah. that's personal. And I use, and this is where I'm kind of glad that I don't have to make myself ashamed in front of Mad Dog here. Um, I mostly use Visual Studio Code, which is open source, and yeah. uh, it's a Microsoft product, but it's fully open source and it's really good. And I feel kind of guilty about it, but it, it's good. 
is all I can say. For well, we've, we've had <laughs> oh, we go. we've we had go. we've had Miguel um, Picasa on here who yeah, reached out and, from the from the open source community. He, he loved C sharp. He loved what they were doing with um, whatever this sort of larger effort was around that. Ended up working there for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, there are good people doing good work there. There's no doubt about it, including people in the, in the, who started in the Linux world. So next week, <laughs> well, you do your plugs while I look up who's okay. on next week. Yeah, no problem. And- <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no problem. So, um, yeah, so if you want to find out anything about what I'm up to, you can go to danlynch.org, which is in the lower third for people watching the video. Uh, and Ant's very kindly put up a, a lovely picture. That's me in my cowboy hat. That's a, a genuine Texan Stetson that my friend got for me from <laughs> she is Texan. She's a Texan, and she brought me a Texan hat, and I was like, that's amazing. Um, so, yeah, you can find music on there. You can find podcasts. You can go to danlynch.org slash music if you want to find music. Uh, you can go to my very out-of-date blog. There's a blog on there, which I haven't updated in about a year, I think, at this point, so I will need to do that. You can buy the music on Bandcamp. You can listen to it for free on Bandcamp. You're welcome to steal it. Don't worry about it. It's under Creative Commons. It's not stealing. Uh, it's it's actually licensed in the copyleft theme. It's licensed under Creative Commons attribution share alike. So uh, go and enjoy that. There's a, a forum I've recently joined called something like Abandoned Indiana, and it's it's old places in Indiana that have been abandoned one way or another. And I was thinking there ought to be one of abandoned blogs, like good abandoned blogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, our legacy event, there is still up and somebody's still paying for that domain name. Yeah. Some of mine have been like that for a while, but they're still, they're still there. Um, next week we have Frank Karlteshek. Um, he's from next cloud and uh, that's next and cloud. Oh, I know together. Frank. Oh, sorry. You do? No, oh, great. Well, I've, I've met him. He won't know who I am. I've, I've met him <laughs> at a conference. Yes. Yeah, so well, Jonathan penciled in right now as the, as, no, no, as the Jonathan guest Jonathan will do a great job. Yeah, but if we bring you back, we could have you three weeks in a row. <laughs> so, yeah, well. Which might be a new record. I think Jonathan will, will have and some. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. So that that's coming up next week. And so in the meantime, thanks, everybody. Th- thank you, Mad Dog, wherever you are. I, I we'll, we'll have you back. We have openings here and there, and uh, we'll have you back when you're home on your two megabit enviable in each direction fiber connection and two gigabit. Uh, your two gigabit. Sorry, megabit. Yeah. Now megabit. No, that would be bad. That would be very bad. <laughs> but, we've had that before. That didn't work. That's probably what he was on in Brazil, anyway. Uh, so, um, so we'll do that. And um, and uh, in the meantime, see everybody. See you next week. It's midweek, and you really want to know even more about the world of technology. So you should check out Tech News Weekly, the show where we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. It's the biggest news. We talk with the uh, people writing the stories that you're probably reading. We also talk between ourselves about the stories that are getting us even more excited about tech news this week. So if you're excited, well, then join us. Head to twit.tv slash TNW to subscribe. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life.
Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita, Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.